Goshpods, paediatric educational podcast series from Great Ormond Street Hospital. Goshpods are brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Welcome back to another exciting episode in our SDR podcast series. Today we have the lovely Christian with us, who is a consultant neurosurgeon at Great Ormond Street Hospital. Welcome to the podcast, Christian. Thank you. And today we're going to be talking more about the surgical side of the SDR, which we've clarified in previous episodes, is the selective dorsal rhizotomy procedure. So would you like to just tell us firstly, Christian, a little bit about your role in the trust and what you do? So uh, I'm a consultant paediatric neurosurgeon. I've been uh, working at Great Ormond Street now for almost 10 years. My main interests really are selective dorsal rhizotomy for spasticity. Uh, I do a lot of hydrocephalus work as well, and also quite a lot of the brain tumour surgeries in, in Great Ormond Street for children. Fantastic. And if we just sort of jumped right into the procedural aspects, could you tell us a little bit about what the STR surgery involves? So an SDR involves an operation on the back, about two thirds of the way down the back. We remove a single segment of bone, we find the point at which the spinal cord terminates and remove the segment of bone only at that level. We then open the membrane of the spinal cord under the microscope and identify all the sensory nerve roots. We test them all and then divide some of them. Typically, we would divide about 60% of the sensory nerve roots, but we're always more careful around the bladder nerves, which we monitor separately. Is there just one singular approach to this procedure, or is there um, less invasive methods? And if so, what are the advantages of that? So this is the less invasive method um, in the past. They used to do this operation through a much bigger approach. Instead of opening just one level, they would open four or five levels, which of course means that the operation is more painful and the recovery time is a little longer. The way we do it through a single level has been pioneered in the United States by Dr. Park in the early 1990s. It is a much smaller operation with less disturbance to the bones and muscles of the back. There's less pain after surgery. And more importantly, it allows these children to start their therapy earlier. And in fact, they're usually up by about the third day from the surgery. Fantastic. And what percentage of the nerves do you are sort of cut? And what is the selective element of that? Of course, we only cut the sensory nerve roots. The motor roots are important to maintain strength, and we don't cut any of those. But from the sensory roots, um, between the roots of L1 all the way down to S1, S2, which is the lower sacral roots, we cut about 60 to 70 percent. Uh, and this we know is important because if you cut less than that, then the operation doesn't really work. And this has been shown through trials in the late 1990s where those centers which cut less than 60 percent um, did not really have a good result at all from the SDR. Uh, the procedure is selective in that the nerves that are divided preferentially are those that cause a large response when stimulated. And the theory is that these are the nerves which contribute the most to the spasticity because of the way they are connected within the spinal cord. Of course, you can't divide all the sensory roots, otherwise the child's legs will be completely numb and, um, uh, and, and uh, you know, they'll have no sensation in the skin. So to cut 60% makes sense to cut the ones which we think are most relevant to this plasticity. Obviously, this is quite complex, intricate work. How long does the procedure normally take? The surgery takes around three hours, but there is at least one hour of preparation time before the surgery begins. 
and this time is needed to anesthetize the child, set up all the monitoring, and also do an X-ray to find out that the incision is made at the correct level. What are the potential risks of these nerves being cut? So I think that SDR is a very safe operation. We have now done over 200 SDR operations at Great Roman Street, and we have had very few, if any, problems. We always worry about infection, and in fact, the only problems we've had were two uh, superficial wound infections, which required a course of antibiotics and nothing else. They were absolutely fine after that. We also worry, like any other neurosurgical procedure, we worry about the possibility of bleeding after the surgery, the possibility of leakage of spinal fluid from the membrane you have to cut to access the nerve roots. And I have to say this has never happened in our series. And of course, we worry about leg weakness and incontinence. And we take all the precautions to minimize all these. Um, and as we said earlier as well, the sphincters and bladder nerves are monitored very carefully in multiple ways during the operation. And this reduces the risk of incontinence. Also, as the operation is carried out <clears throat> at one level in the spine, we fix the bone back at the end. And so we think that the risk of spinal instability is really very low. Is there the possibility, however, that there could be permanent bladder and bowel um, disorder following the operation? And is that something you consent for? So, of course, we consent for that. We make it very clear that there is a risk of a new neurological deficit, which could include incontinence and bladder and bowel problems. And it's theoretically possible. It has been described in the literature. But we haven't, as far as I know, we haven't had any, any patients who've had permanent bladder and bowel problems after SDR. Um, we know that the bladder may not work as well immediately after SDR, and that's why we put in a catheter for three days, which we then remove. But we've also found some children who have a spastic bladder before SDR, and the operation actually improves their level of continence and their uh, ability to pass urine in a controlled way. So apart from difficulties with urination, what would you expect to happen immediately post-operatively? Is there any kind of um, medications they would need or any kind of uh, therapy? So it's an operation on the back and there's a few muscles in the back, which obviously when disturbed, they cause pain. So they often require pain relief. Um, we usually give them a morphine drip and then change the oral medication after the first couple of days. And I have to say it's it's very well tolerated. Most children by the third day are quite free of pain. Um, they're on paracetamol and ibuprofen only usually, and they're able to start some very gentle physiotherapy. We also keep them on bed rest for 48 hours, and that's really because, uh, one, it may be uncomfortable to sit them up, but also because it helps to give them cleaning, and the chance of having a leak of spinal fluid if you're lying in, in bed rest fairly flat is much less than if you're sitting up straight away. And as we said, we keep a catheter for two days, and if, if you don't have a catheter, there is a danger of retention of urine, which is uncomfortable and may mean that a child may need to have a catheter put in while awake, which of course is always unpleasant. So we keep it there for three days and it's never caused a problem. Children sometimes have um, some sensory changes after the surgery. Uh, this is not usually a problem, but you know it's, it's unavoidable. If you're cutting some sensory nerve, it's unavoidable that they will have some numbness in their legs and feet. And some children, especially the older ones, may articulate this as an uncomfortable uh, or slightly painful numbness. Uh, for this, we give them gabapentin, usually for a few weeks. Gabapentin is not always well tolerated, especially by the younger children. It's a very bitter drug, and we try and stop it as soon as we can. So we don't leave them on gabapentin for a very long time. But part of the rationale for the operation is that the sensory nerves will regrow over time. And they're, because their sensory areas overlap, the children are not really left with any numb patches in the legs. Within a couple of months, it all seems to resolve. And so 
it doesn't seem to be a long-term problem at all. Just moving away slightly from that post-operative phase and thinking about other surgically related conditions, can children who have um, hydrocephalus or some evidence of dilated ventricles on MRI have an SDR procedure? So yes, so most of the children who have an SDR procedure, although not all of them, I should say, are premature children. And prematurity is also associated with hemorrhage in the brain and hydrocephalus. So a proportion of the SDR children we have also have shunts. And this is not a problem at all. Um, the operation may be a little different because there often is some scarring in the in the back when there is a shunt, simply because the CSF, the cerebrospinal fluid, does not circulate as well as if there was no shunt. But that is not a problem. And there is no reason to uh, to believe that an SDR is not as good if you have some hydrocephalus or a shunt as if you did not. If the ventricles are very large, however, the main difficulty is that the mobility problems may relate not just to the spasticity, but also to the balance, because we know that very large ventricles and very severe hydrocephalus may cause balance problems of its own. And so in these children, it may be an issue in that, uh, although the spasticity gets better after SDR, the balance issues may not. And when this is the case, we always talk about this at length with the families to make sure that uh, you know we share expectations and we'll be able to help them with whatever they need after the surgery. Children with other medical comorbidities, for example, epilepsy, um, if they are well in themselves and well controlled with um, medications, is that any contraindication to having SDR? So no, it isn't. Um, of course, cerebral palsy children sometimes have additional problems like epilepsy, but you know, most epilepsy is very well controlled on, on medications. Um, and uh, as long as it's controlled and there's been no recent problems, then it doesn't cause any problems with neither the anesthesia nor the surgery. You mentioned that postoperatively, it's usually a few days until the catheter can be removed and the pain relief is down. How long in general do children stay in hospital for post-SDR? So they stay in the hospital for six nights usually. Of course, if they need to stay more, they do. But Actually, over the last eight years, we've been doing this in Great Ormond Street. We've only had one or two patients who stayed more than six nights. They're then discharged to our patient hotel just across the road, which is very convenient for them. Uh, and they have two weeks of intensive rehabilitation, usually um, a couple of sessions of physiotherapy every day, uh, one session in the morning, one session in the afternoon, which I'm sure has been mentioned by the other speakers on this podcast. In terms of the outcomes of Gosh's SDR service, how long is it before you start to see changes, positive or, or negative? And um, what are the sort of short and long-term benefits for, for the patients? So it's amazing that some of the improvements after SDR happen, happen immediately. And uh, I've had parents looking at their children's legs in the recovery room just after they wake up from anesthesia saying their legs are already looking different. And that's because SDR takes the spasticity away um, immediately. Um, although they're not mobile in the beginning, because children feel that their legs are different and are scared to move them, the increased mobility can be seen very early on. And, and their leg movements are usually improving within a few days of the surgery. We always tell parents that their legs will be weaker after SDR. Um, and we say that you know they may take even up to three months, sometimes even more, for their legs to start appearing as strong as they were before the surgery. I think the main benefits of SDR, we always discuss these with the family at length before surgery, but really they improve mobility, more fluidity of movement, higher levels of stamina, children can walk for longer periods of time, improved balance, better posture, 
They're also more comfortable with lower pain. They sleep better because they're more comfortable at night. And we've also seen improvements, as we said, in bladder function, but also in upper limb function, which is which is surprising. But it's amazing how if you take this plasticity away from a growing child, they find that they can then concentrate on other things and they don't have to focus so much on keeping their balance and, and their posture correct. They then can focus on other things, use their hands, play with their hands, interact better, and even focus better on learning at school. And, you know, I have to, I have to say, we haven't seen many complications, but we, in the long term, we always pay close attention to the hips and the feet. Some children may still need surgery in the longer term to stabilize their hips after as they are. And occasionally, tendon lengthening or muscle lengthening in the feet may, or legs may also be required. And that's why we... Um, collaborate and liaise closely with our orthopedic surgeons here in Great Ormond Street. We have a team of cerebral palsy specialists in orthopedics and we work very closely with them. That's amazing. Um, so it sounds like overall it can be quite a life-changing procedure. You've mentioned a few already, but are there any other ways in which um, SDR can help the broader aspects of cerebral palsy, um, either socially within the family or medically? So many parents have told us about a year later that they've seen a really big transformation in their children. I think especially young children show big changes as they grow um, without having to manage dysplasticity. So as I said, there may be changes in bladder and upper limbs, also in speech and concentration at school as they don't have to expend so much of their time and attention to manage their posture. They're able to concentrate better and it also increases their uh, as their mobility improves, it also gets an improvement in confidence, uh, which you know is really crucial to a growing child, especially to a child who becomes aware as they grow that they are, they are perhaps have some disabilities. Increasing their confidence is really important, and increasing their, increasing their mobility is a really a big component of that. Brilliant. I think that's a really helpful summary there of the sort of start to finish of the surgical elements. Um, if, however, anyone does have any specific questions about referral or the surgical process, is there someone that they could contact or a website they could go to to get that information? So there is a website on Selective Dorsal Rhizotomy on the Great Ormond Street page. They can contact Stephanie, Stephanie Popper, who is our um, visitor lead for the service, and Emmanuel Turton, who is our um, lead uh, admin for the, for the service. We'll be very happy to, to help and support and guide. Well, that's all we have time for on this podcast episode. Uh, join us again for the next episode in this series, which will be on post-operative therapy. Thank you so much, Christian, for coming to talk to us today about this really amazing procedure. Thank you for listening to Gosh Pods. If you would like more information on courses and educational opportunities offered by Gosh Learning Academy, please visit the website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy or follow us on Twitter at Gosh Learn Acad.